There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. <laughs> That's when the cannibalism started. I'm doing like vocal exercises. That's a Shut perfect. the fuck up for a second, okay? Fuck. 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 I think that was the evolution of man. <laughs> Started out as a sea creature and went all the way up to a fat dude in Canada. That's perfect. Welcome to the last podcast on the left, everyone. I am Ben Kissel, as always, joined, staring at the beautiful Marcus Parks. Mm. And with us, as always, unfortunately not in studio, in beautiful Toronto. I prefer when people call me Richard. <laughs> right? Because dicks are something that you suck. Right? <laughs> you don't tell anybody to tell you any different, all right? What I've decided to do is Rick Cheney. Rick fucking Cheney. That's what I'm changing my name to Rick Cheney. Wow. Decided to amputate my hands and have them replaced with metal claws <laughs> just to make me more visibly evil. It is very difficult to make Dick Cheney, a.k.a. Rick Cheney, more evil than he looks currently. The scowl, uh, the scowl, the second heart. I mean, the man is a super villain if, there's, if you've ever seen one in real life. We've given the man two hearts. <laughs> also, the last Rothschild, did you see how that we've given him how many hearts? Nine hearts. Nine hearts. There are people not getting hearts. Dick Cheney's got two of them, and I'm, I'm not shitting you. Well, I bet he's got five in a fucking suitcase right. that he's waiting on, and two of them are his butlers just walking around his fucking his many mansions, mm-hmm. and he just walks around being like, I've got to tell you, Montague, when you finally are used for your express purpose, I will dance in your grave. Yeah. People are just human. <laughs> yes, Mr. Cheney. We'll never go meet Mr. Cheney. Human pieces of future mate, Dick oh, Cheney. Yes, yeah, so uh, today is 9-11 Part 2, The Conspiracy, which is why we're talking about Dick Cheney. Now, let me say right now, I did days. Hours with research assistants in this sweaty little room with me. I have two new research assistants that, right. that are at dog meets fucking beck and call. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they are scared of him. I see them because sometimes they'll call on the phone and be like, can can we can we stop researching the truth? And I was like, did dog meat tell you you would stop? Mm-hmm. No, no, he says he says that we can't. And I'm like, get back to fucking work. Get back to work. <laughs> so because we were originally going into this uh, to tackle the whole, you know, jet fuel can't melt steel beams. Right. Building seven being taken down. Uh, the two towers being exploded and taking taken down. Flight ninety three being shot down. Uh, a drone being flown into the Pentagon. And I came to Henry and Ben with a twelve page outline, completely refuting everything that I found. And Henry, what what did you say to me? Um, that it was a twelve page amateur chemistry lecture. <laughs> Very intense. <laughs> It was highly compelling. Marcus is going to release all of his fucking research. It's it's very good. It's very thorough. Dogmeat seriously tackles the idea that the towers were blown up. They, they were not blown up. Building 7 was not blown up. This is the last podcast opinion so oh. far. They were not blown up. They did fall as a result of fires. Marcus has got the fucking science to prove it. We got it. the documents. 
We got the doctors. We didn't want to have people falling asleep on the highway while listening to the show. No, I think that we're liable. Yeah, absolutely. No, it is is very hard chemistry, and it is very hard science, Mm -hmm. and also physics uh, behind what happened, because the that that's what I, I think why a lot of times conspiracy theories gain ground, especially with 9-11, is because I can say in one sentence, I can say the buildings were brought down by the government in a false flag operation in order for us to get into a forever war against terrorism. Boom, and I mean, you- it's not going to help you at the Starbucks get your order any faster. <laughs> I don't know. It might can't work. stay the sentence. It might work. Yeah, and that is, I can say that in one sentence. In order to refute you that the buildings were not taken down and to tell you exactly why and how they fell, I'm going to bore you with 12 pages of scientific nonsense Mm -hmm. that it took me days and two assistants to really wrap my head around and to really understand. And I even tried explaining it to someone here at the creek earlier, and you just see their eyes glaze mm-hmm. over when you try to explain to them the difference between heat and temperature. Well, they my, don't want to know. I'm Absolutely. fully glazed over right now. So that is not going to happen. Not on our no, watch. We're going to no. have no blood on our hands. Yes. By the way, NPR kills 13,000 people a year <laughs> due to driving and sleeping, hitting multiple, multiple trees. Absolutely. Carly, uh, Marcus's girlfriend, is barely with him anymore. She's gone. <laughs> He does know the truth. She is we are examined, but there are very compelling arguments on both sides. Yes, right? there are. But the problem is, is that the truth is rarely sexy. The truth is almost always boring. Hmm. Like once you really, because if you, it's simplification is easy. You can make a YouTube video where you talk real fast for four minutes, right. and it sounds real good, and you get a couple million view, million views, and you get a pat on the back. But actually explaining the science behind why they did fall, and there's very real, very solid science. While there is compelling evidence on the other side, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to discount it completely. The at least as far as us, as far as we go, we looked at all the evidence and. Our opinion is that the towers fell on their own. All right. I also found my nickname. We got dog meat, too real, and the truth. Um, yeah, perfect. yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yes, Boom. of course. Absolutely. Nailed yes, it. Of course. Boom. The, the truth. truth. The Kiss truth. All. all right, all right. Um, but, no, but Satan uh, always finds the truth to be sexy. I will say that. Um, but today we're talking about, so there are two big conspiracies. So now that is what is mainly considered the big conspiracy is that these towers were taken out, the Building 7 was taken out, the Pentagon was hit by a missile, that Flight 93 was taken out by our government and not by the people inside of it, or was possibly suicide itself. But what we really have discovered is that's just the the cover-up conspiracy. That's a conspiracy that the government likes you to have. Yes. That is the, the one that they want you to debate for hours. There's a great documentary that talks about the science of why they could have been exploded called Experts Speak Out, right? But if you watch it again, it's just nerds fighting nerds. The NIS <laughs> team versus, the, versus our nerds versus the conspiracy nerds. It's just a nerd fight. The government knows that all the nerds like to fight with each other and everybody just goes like, oh, you know, panties just suck up into people's vaginas <laughs> and, and dicks fall off. Of course. So the government <laughs> The government loves it when people have grandiose ideas of what occurred on that day. They can call them kooks, they can call them nut jobs, and they can continue to control the world the way they've controlled the world uh, for a very long time. So, Marcus, can we start off with the truth? Let's start off with the truth. Let's start off, let's go over uh, some very simple stuff with the Twin Towers. uh, Very simple. Very simple. Very simple stuff. Very simple. One of the reasons... We were trying to make this episode a little bit lighter 
because I know that um, last, I mean, I know last episode was fucking hilarious. <laughs> right. What was the so, funniest part? The people on the ground during 9-11 or the people filming up in their uh, apartments? I think it was, it was just the crying. Oh, the crying is just a fun, it was just a fun thing. Yeah. The worldwide right. trauma is just a one, just amazing. For comedy, oh. uh, so let's. Uh, and also, I want to uh, make a, a statement here up top. Some of the information in this episode is definitely truncated in the interest in the interest of time, but none of it is taken out of context. Not a single bit, because that's what I found again and again with this conspiracy stuff is that they would take certain sentences out of context uh, in order to serve their own agenda. They would cut off half of uh, they would cut off half of quotes that completely changed the meaning of right. the quote. Uh, we're not none of the, nothing that we're saying today is taken out of context. Where we talk about the the Nazi concept of where PR meets propaganda. Yes. That's where this is come. This stuff it's like we learn from the best. Yeah. Operation Paperclip was scientists, but it was also psychologists and it was journalists and it was all of those guys. Yeah. We have learned these guys from they learned this this is old hat to America. Absolutely. We know how to frame these arguments and make things real fucking real fucking confusing. And so do people that sit in basements who make YouTube videos. They spend a lot of time <laughs> sitting around and they can make something sound real compelling even though you know that it's like it's made with MIDI music in the background and on his mom's fucking like power PC from like 1997. Please, Henry, the Requiem for a Dream soundtrack. That's what they're using. They don't need That's MIDI. Fair. They've got one very, very dramatic song that is pretty much the standard mm. for conspiracy videos. Never so trust will you a take man. the red pill or will you take the blue pill? Each time. Always the always the matrix open. Yeah, well, I don't it depends. Know. Do you want to sleep through the night? Do you have a cold? Or do you want to go and have an active day with your day quill? <laughs> it really depends. Or do you want to use a metaphor from a Hollywood movie that mm. has gone through the corporate machine uh, and use that metaphor to fight against the corporate machine? Or do you want to grow the fuck up? I don't know. All I know is I've been drinking a bunch of Diet Coke and I haven't exercised or uh, lost any weight at all. So those <laughs> commercials. I, they told me I was going to, but I haven't done anything. So what? Let's start with the Twin Towers exploding, and this is a part of the conspiracy, uh, and it is a conspiracy of greed. Is that what? That's what we can say here with the nine. This conspiracy here, it is a conspiracy of greed, and it does have something to do with the two towers falling, but not in the way that you might think. Now, while other buildings have sustained impacts from fully fueled passenger jets, the Twin Towers were constructed completely different than the ones that were hit. Rather than built with a steel web throughout the entire building, like most high-rise buildings are, they're built with mm. these huge steel webs, so if they're hit with something large, the kinetic energy is spread throughout the building. So it doesn't, it doesn't get impacted on one specific spot. The two mm. towers were built with a gigantic steel core in the middle with webbing only on the face of the building. And while this structure was de indeed designed to withstand a jetliner impact, at most, it was designed for a 707. The, the planes that hit the towers were 757s, which are 20% larger than hmm. 707s. So in we other words... just don't know what's going to happen when a plane hits a building. Yeah. You could do a bunch of science, and you could say... Oh, this this building? Oh, that don't that don't fall down. That's building. That's mostly <laughs> right. what they say. They go up to them and be like, no, 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 no. Buildings don't fall down. It's got a front, it's got a back, it's got two sides, it's got flaws in it, it doesn't fall down. But then you actually fly a plane into it and shit happens. <laughs> well, you gotta do the experiment to get the results, right? <laughs> 
It's very oh. difficult to experiment with flying a building, a plane into a building. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And what I definitely believe uh, is that the two towers are the 21st century Titanic. Is that they, you know, they say like they're stu- they're too big to fall. There's no right. way. This is this is a a monument to man's uh, achi- to man's intellect. Right. That this is what we have achieved. There's no way that they can fall, and it's total hubris because the engineers uh, that made the uh, that made the twin towers said like, "Oh yeah, a jetliner can hit it. A 707 could hit this, and it and it won't fall over." Like they couldn't imagine that we might build a bigger plane than what we had in 1972. Right. I mean, 707. We don't need much bigger than that. I mean, are <laughs> people going to get fed up? No way. This is 1979. People, everybody's got a 24-inch waist because everyone's going to the disco every night. All right, and that is how it's going to be to the end of time. Can anything get better than the Bee Gees? I'll tell you what. I, I don't think so. No, I actually agree with that. The Bee Gees were great. <laughs> Staying alive, wonderful. So you ask yourself, why was this building constructed this way? Like, what, what possible reason could they have for constructing this building in, in such a manner that makes it more vulnerable than other buildings office space you mean good old-fashioned new york slumlord logic <laughs> mm, i love that slumlord new york logic if they have one steel core in the middle and just a bunch of space out from that steel core mm-hmm. to the walls there is a lot more room to rent out than if you have steel webbing all throughout right and of course that like we discussed in the first episode uh Many of these floors were just full of paper, yeah. and we didn't have enough technology back then. Nowadays, I assume you could make a building like this, which with much smaller surface area because you don't need nearly as much storage space. That is very true. But in 1972, real bad idea. Oh my God, the fake mustaches alone and the bell-bottom <laughs> pants. I mean, people sweeping through the offices. Terrible. Absolutely, and they had to save paper for every single time the Yankees won the fucking World Series. <laughs> oh, constantly. And so they kept it all in the room, and then what a convenient way to cover up some super black op files. <laughs> if not to cut it up and save, shower it upon our nation's superheroes, the you New do. York Yankees. I'm going to go the next time the Yankees win the World Series, I'm going and I'm putting that ticker tack parade paper together, I'm going to figure out the truth about a whole series of different things. <laughs> Again, not going to help you at the Starbucks getting your order moved up in order. Well, but I will say, again, I don't, it's going to be really difficult. When you come in with piles of fucking ticker tape, just going like, I've got the answer. Right here. That's why I go to Dunkin' Donuts, because they don't ask you your name. I'm not giving you the information, Starbucks. Dunkin' Donuts, the louder you yell, the faster you get your coffee. Absolutely. And you get four munchkins for a buck. Another thing that is definitely due to corporate greed or just sheer incompetence is that the steel columns inside were improperly fireproofed. And even before the attack, the swaying of the buildings and also that same steel webbing construction also served as kind of a windsock sort of thing where these buildings could sway back and forth in the wind and not fall over. Mm -hmm. The swaying of the buildings in the wind caused the elevator cables to slam up against the walls constantly, which knocked fireproofing off of the columns. There was regular maintenance required to fix this, but of course it was not kept up regularly, which contributed to the steel beams not melting but warping due to heat, not temperature. And like I said, I could go into that. If I explain that to you, it would take another 20 minutes. But you'll put the notes on Facebook. And you know where they figured out that technology where the buildings can sway to and fro but not fall over? 105th Street, a heroin addict. 
<laughs> yeah. You know, that was the whole thing. They were on 105th Street, and a scientist said, look at that heroin addict. Go, go push him a little bit. And they pushed him multiple times, never fell over. And that's how they Absolutely. got the ideas for the, the back Twin of the Towers. Because how many times does technology mirror nature? <laughs> exactly. What came first, heroin or the addict? Well, turns out. Not at the same time <laughs> they made the Twin Towers. As far as Building 7 goes, very quickly, uh, it was a victim of a combination of unexpected circumstance and shoddy engineering. I'm still going to say it's a little fishy, it's a but little... that's, my, that's my prerogative. Yeah. I'm no, going to go ahead and say it's yeah. a little fishy, too. It Everything is. about this is a little fishy. Nothing about this is super clear cut. But there is, I believe, definitely a side that you can sway one or the other. Living in New York City for long enough now, though, we all have experienced slumlord landlords, and that's exactly what you what you said earlier, um, Henry. Everyone is out for the bottom line, especially in Walmart, uh, Wall Street. Believe it or not, they didn't care about the people so much. <laughs> Some and, reason, because uh, they always. That's where I see a landlord. First thing I think of is empathy, trustworthiness. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, wants to make sure that you don't freeze to death in the winter and you don't burn alive in the summer. Right. Oh, wait a second. Let me check the calendar. Well, today's opposite day. Oh. Mm. So wow. the three main columns, columns in Building 7, 79, 80, and 81 carried a huge amount of floor area, specifically 79, which carried 2,000 square feet. And when a girder lost its connection due to, again, heat warping the steel, not melting it, column 79 fell. And when that went, the other two main interior columns snapped and fell inward at the speed of sound, which is why the building appears to free fall so neatly on itself. And in fact, the building falls at a speed of greater than 1G. It mm. falls mm. faster than a free fall because those steel, those gigantic columns are falling so hard and snapping through everything on the way. And just as a side note, mm. that uh, the experts agree is what I think it was called. All of these like 1,700 architects and engineers and say, investigate Building 7, investigate Building 7. No, investigate yourself. Uh -oh. You say it never happened before? Oh, a steel high-rise has never fallen due to fire. It's never done it. That's like saying that you're not going to go to the doctor for the herpes that you have just because you've never had an STD before. I just want to say I, I'm going to send a an edible arrangement to your research assistants <laughs> because yeah. I just I think that maybe they maybe send them like a massage, or like send them like something because I feel like this is the lowest volume that you've had this conversation. <laughs> oh, I wasn't. I was being loud on that. No, no, you're being very very professional. <laughs> I, I'm just very concerned. I have herpes. Now. I, I don't know. I, I, maybe I have to go to the doctor. I haven't been able to. But you know, how do you know if how do you know if you have it? I, I think it's if, <laughs> if you found love. Is that, is that it? Oh, that's yeah. bad. And I, I'm gonna go ahead and say, like these guys, like ignoring these flaws, these structural flaws in these buildings, is not only completely arrogant, but right. borderline criminally negligent. Right. Like this Damn. is something that they need to pay attention to, and they are ignoring. For God knows why. Well, like Henry mentioned earlier, people who are out there trying to create their own narrative, to sell their own books, to create their own brand. And that's what happens with all of these tragedies. Yes. And like you mentioned earlier in the first episode as well, Henry, 9-11 as a brand. The U.S. took that brand. And these people yeah. are either truther or whatever it might be brands. Yeah, taking the no, conspiracy brand. 
Absolutely, because it's what we're seeing now in comedy a lot, where people side with arguments in order to get work. They sure. literally come in and these huge things pop up, and these so these architects kind of jump onto different teams mm-hmm. to right, right, basically right. band together, and then they all get convention money, and they all get speaker exactly. money, and they all get like publishing money. And then there's always one like super smart nerdy dude who's just standing alone on the street, and he's just like, mm, but, mm, but, mm, but. <laughs> everyone walks by him, and he's like, you know, and then he goes to an early grave, and everyone's like, I guess he was an alcoholic. It's like, <laughs> no, he was just really sad. No one listened to the rational truth about what occurred, yeah. and you literally drove him to yeah. drink. Also, everyone remember when it comes to the towers and it comes to building seven the concept of the anthropic principle which is what scientists talk about what we talked about back with the hollow moon which is what they say about the how they say that we got our moon which is the same thing right was that the fact that some shit just happens the way it happens yeah these towers fell because planes hit them and they fell it's a painful reality that we look at these big huge iconic buildings and i think psychologically we look at stuff and we're like buildings don't fall yeah right now, and so we automatically mm-hmm. want to frame the way we perceive the truth and, you know, to be that buildings don't fall. And you know, and to that point, look at what happened with the pedophilic government. Look what happened with the pedophilic ring uh, with the Catholic Church. Priests don't touch children. Yeah. You know, they just they just drink a lot of wine and look at their penises as it gets all hard and then convince it to go <laughs> down without touching. Absolutely. And they're just sensitive boys that had no place in modern society and their love for fucking God. If I could make right. more audible finger fucking quotes for God <laughs> but if we can't trust makes them serve a whole life of that without once getting their dicks up <laughs> right this podcast is brought to you by Squarespace finding work-life balance can be tough but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online with the new guided design system Squarespace blueprint You can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with Horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents' accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse pics over various country borders... I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. And I think this uh, point brings us to the very crux of what this episode is all about. Because on one side, you have people who th- look at the towers and think they couldn't possibly fall. They, there is no way that they could possibly fall. And on the other side, you have people who think there is no way that our government could have possibly had anything to do with this. Right. There's no way that they could betray us, that people in the highest levels of government could possibly have anything to do with the towers falling. Yeah. The problem is... Gulf of Tonkin! Next, next, thing, next thing you know, you're going to tell me Josh Duggar was on Ashley Madison. Well, what the truth is, somewhere in the middle. Mm. 
Like that that's just like most other things, the truth is somewhere in the middle, and that's what we're going to get into today, the real conspiracy behind 9-11. And of course, Which is, to put it flatly in a sentence, that 9-11 was allowed to happen to uh, enter us into a forever war against a concept in order to launder international money and arms throughout the entire, the fucking, all over the place for as long as we want to. And if not... Uh, let it let happen the very least nudged into place by American corporations with ties at the highest level of government and rogue elements in the Saudi Arabian government as well as corporations within Saudi Arabia you come to truth <laughs> All right, let's get into the real conspiracy, the yeah. truth. Let's get into it. Let's start with the Middle East with Mr. Osama bin Laden. Osama bin Laden, one of 17 kids born to Muhammad bin Laden, the head of the largest construction empire in all of Saudi Arabia. Now, this man, known to marry and divorce just willy-nilly and would often marry his ex-wives off to employees. Well, well, you know, you're, so, okay, you get you're, you'll get uh, Teresa. Okay, I'm sick of her <laughs> fucking bush. You get her. I don't know Muhammad because she's like crazy, fucking annoying, and she's <laughs> like always getting ready to do things. It's like take Teresa, huh? <laughs> well, I take my fucking fingers and I stick them up my asshole, huh? I stick them up my own fucking asshole. I make myself fucking shoot onto your fucking pants, huh? Well, okay, Muhammad. <laughs> You got to. When your boss is giving you a bonus, it'd be rude not to accept it. It's like uh, Griswold. This is the Bin Laden version of the Jelly of the Month yeah, Club. Yeah, from a Christmas vacation. Griswold didn't like the Jelly of a Month Club. I'm sure some of these people didn't like getting their new wives. But I just thought we were all going to get bonuses. I was planning to put a sand pit in my backyard. Uh-huh. Thankfully, Storm came and gave me sand pit for free. That's very nice. Got a new wife. So, Muhammad Bin Laden... He died in a plane crash on his way to pick up a child bride. Oh, I'm sure that child bride was so sad. (laughs) Isn't it ironic? Don't you think? A little too ironic. Oh, the man who was going to rape me for the next 14 years died in a plane crash? Oh, I can't believe it. (laughs) So Bin Laden himself, Mr. Little Osama, he was actually not religious and was in fact a big fan of western culture until the age of 14 his favorite tv show bonanza great show great Great show show. horse drama (laughs) nothing better absolutely because they looked at horses as potential wives as well i don't mean to be racist (laughs) i just don't understand the culture right 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 of course so osama bin laden at 14 he has a religious awakening that is perpetrated by a gym teacher of his. You can't get up the rope, Osama. I tell you, you gotta find, you gotta, you gotta find the great magic in the law. Absolutely, that's God. I said, give me twenty, give me twenty. Can't do twenty. You gotta find the great magic inside of Allah's fucking sweet, sweet pussy. That's where it is, brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My name is Ronald Donalds. Only take math advice from your lunchroom cook, and only take religious advice from your gym teacher. That's where you go when you really want to learn. I learned I learned about history from my janitor. Hey, there we go. Oh, I had a great janitor, Janitor Bob. Anyway. Yeah. I had uh, Joe Freddy. I'll tell you something about history, young markets. You know, the mop was invented in 1747, and you was just be a wig on a stick. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, it used to keep soldiers company. 
when their wives went off to war. Back oh, yes. in the day, women used to fight wars, and men used to stay at home and fix the clothes. They can't children. Oh, why no. do they call it a mop, Joe Freddy? We call it a mop because it stands for men over under prehensileness. You know what's funny is I never learned to read. Mm, Marcus, the only thing I've learned to do is swippity swip with my my beautiful, beautiful mop. And then the real janitor walks in, and you wonder who you've been talking to the whole time. <laughs> Terrifying. So bin Laden, he joined the Islamist Jihad in Afghanistan in 1984 when he was 27 years old. He actually wanted to go much earlier in life, but was prevented from doing so by the Saudi Arabian royals and, of course, his mother. And if you thought Osama bin Laden was a bastard, you should have met his mother. <laughs> Yikes. You come here, Osama. You come here, huh? I've, make, I've got rolling pin. I stick it up your junk. Okay? I make towers fall every night, bin Laden. I do it with your father. I make the towers fall after I squirt it out with my screamy, screamy tooch. It's just different. You know, a lot of kids in, uh, in America want to go to Los Angeles and become big-time actors or really successful poets or uh, writers. And for him, it was all jihad. <laughs> the guy, they, there needs to be another option. There has to be. Yeah. So, so let's start bringing, let's start bringing these uh, two sides together, America and the Middle East. America's involvement with Afghanistan has its roots in Afghanistan's war against the Soviets, that would be the USSR, now known as the Russians, that lasted from 1979 until 1989. See, this was a proxy war, and America was hoping to support Afghanistan in an effort to create a Russian version of Vietnam. Yes, well, I mean, a Russian version of Vietnam sounds, you know... Kind of like <laughs> just a lot drunker. Where we like. Can you imagine Kool-Aid the packets. the music coming out of the Russian version of <laughs> Vietnam? Christ. Which is like, hey Joe, when you're going with that gun in your hand, you should sell it for bread. <laughs> Different music. <laughs> very different. Uh, and just like, you know, the, 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 the communists were very successful in helping out the Viet Cong and humiliating America in the 70s, uh, the Americans were extremely successful in creating a Vietnam for Russia. And in right. fact, this was one of the things that ushered in the end of the Cold War and completely it very significantly uh, contributed to the fall of the USSR. Well, basically, we had enough resources to just constantly be giving the Afghanis all of our weapons, which if you watch, uh, you know, if you watch like um, when the rebels took out Gaddafi, all of a sudden they had a bunch of old school 1993 U.S. weapons. When the yeah. Afghanis were fighting the Soviets, it looked a lot like Vietnam if you solely look at the guns they're using and things like that. And of course, they also use some Russian arms also. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, at that point, the Russians were using 35 percent of their GDP on military mm-hmm. and the U.S at the peak of our the most we've ever used is five percent so basically we just waited them out and uh had them become dumb enough to use up all their resources and a part of what helped this war go on and on was uh was a minister that we had in america the guy named zbigniew brzezinski who created this like concept called the arc of crisis and what it is is this idea that you uh propagate and and help support orthodox religion in the borders between Afghanistan and Russia. The idea was to take from, like, basically to create a a group of rebel fighters out of the worst of the worst criminals from the worst neighborhoods of Afghanistan and ultra-religious people and to pump up 
the, the religious fervor in those areas, basically to make them motivated and make them be huge pains in the asses to Russia. Because then again, it's back to what we're doing now, which is fighting against a concept. It becomes that the Russians become a, a, the a, a infringing on the Afghani lifestyle, which involves religion heavily. Well, I mean, no more than places in Oklahoma involve religion. They really just prey on the people who are extremely poor. And wherever there's poverty, there's a lot of room for you to put a weapon in somebody's hand and convince them to use the name in the right direction. Absolutely. So while we did aid Afghanistan in creating Russia's Vietnam, we, as America is wont to do, especially in the Middle East, left the country in complete and total shambles. And as Charlie Wilson, the man that was effectively in charge of the operation, who Tom Hanks uh, yeah. played in a wonderful little film called Charlie Wilson's War. A little bit lighthearted, I would say, uh, for, for the subject matter. <laughs> a little yes. too lighthearted, yeah. yeah. He said, uh, these things happened, they were glorious, and they changed the world, and then we fucked up the endgame. Right. And, uh, and of course, I'm sure you'll get into creating the vacuum. Well, that's what happened, is right. that the ensuing power vacuum after we left was filled by the Taliban, who were supported by Al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden militarily, and were funded financially by the Saudi Arabians. Right. So now you have the Saudis' tendrils firmly planted in Afghanistan, both militarily and financially. So we have because exact- so, we have two things, right? The, the guys that filled fill this up with the, Muhaj- the Muhajideen, right, which are a group of these like basically street toughs and religious nuts that end up forming the Taliban and all these people that started taking over Afghanistan, and only but they were sitting on a slush fund of billions of dollars that the U.S. and Afghanistan and Saudi the U.S. and Saudi Arabia were helping fund their the entire revolution, right? Right, right. and the, basically the U.S. would send m- money and weapons and Saudi Arabia would match it dollar for dollar and include guys to go in and help set up their whole fucking army. Yeah. Uh, we, we made a, a delicious soup of, of, of fighters that fight. What is it? Like, what, what, I forgot what the term is. It's, it's like non unilateral fighting. It's, it's that idea of like true guerrilla warfare. You can't find them. They're picking you off one by one. They're blowing you up where you, you don't know where they are. They're setting booby traps. They're stealing your weapons and doing all this stuff. We made these guys really good. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're a train. But anyway, so that's exactly what happened with in Iraq right now. Obviously, went in, pull out, ISIS is created. It's yeah. exactly what occurs. And, you know, for the really the U.S., you could argue that it wasn't necessarily a bad decision. The Russians dissolved because of it. Yeah, exactly. Like, it was a calculated risk, and boy, did we calculate wrong. And in conspiratorial thought, if we also want to say, what a great bookmark to set for down the line to have a permanent villain. If you want to say, like, no matter what, I think a good reason to leave, and when the Taliban starts getting set up, they can be like, okay, let's bookmark that as our future villain Mm -hmm. in the story. Like, boom, we got him. Boom, we got him. It's very very easy, because now we're starting to look at being like, so if we saw the pattern with the creation of Taliban and, and what al-Qaeda al- would eventually become in Afghanistan, and then the same shit happened with ISIS, it's got to be almost like we want it to happen, right? The bubbles, just like the housing market bubble, or I think there's going to be a university uh, bubble bursting soon, These they just go to different places. So Yemen right now, we're currently in our proxy war. As soon as the U.S. stops backing um, the group of people uh, fighting the Houthis in there, the exact same thing is going to occur. There's going to be a whole series of uh, unrest, and the next tribal group will come in and, and uh, win. I mean, whoever is the next president, guarantee we go in, we're going, we're going to get rid of ISIS, and it'll just move to a different country, where we currently are festering it 
with the proxy war in Yemen. We're always 10 years ahead. <laughs> My question is, is if we fight the, the Houthis next year, do the blowfish follow? <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> so you're asking, okay, where's the... Okay, the Saudis are now in Afghanistan. They've now got a lot of money invested in Afghanistan. But Marcus, that's great news because they're our allies, right? Oh. And they're always helping us out. They got our back over there. Oh, yeah. And in fact, they are the number one uh, buyer of American arms, of Whoa. defense arms. They are the number one. Nobody in the world buys as many arms from America and American countries as Saudi Arabia. Unfortunately, there must have been a bit of a bugaboo in mm. the communications because 15 of the 19 hijackers on September 11th were Saudi Arabian. The but Marcus, that doesn't work out because there are allies. And I don't, I'm not, I'm confused about that. And I, I don't think that that's real or, or, or right. Oh, you don't? Well, let's listen to some of the uh, connections here. The United States has had private business ties and government contracts with Saudi Arabia since 1933. Like a lot of other countries in the Middle East, the U.S. did absolutely nothing when this country started to become an Islamic radical state that it is today. And indeed, of course, encouraged it, as Henry, you were talking about earlier. And you ask why? Well, in theory, a dictator is a lot easier to influence and control and make deals with than a democ democratically elected government. And when you're done with them, like, say, for example, Saddam Hussein, you can just throw them away. Right. Absolutely. You make little perfect villains for the future. And really all you have to do to keep a dictator happy is to get a jeweler to make them a nice little scepter. <laughs> it is honestly true. But, you know, that's what's so interesting. We talked about it with Saman Arbabi on top at, uh, at length. 1933, Saud is like a brand new country. So this dude, Saud, they're just they're going through the desert. He has no idea what the hell is happening. And he's yeah. just like, pray to God I can stop soon. So people <laughs> stop asking me where we're going. Like a proverbial children yelling at the back seat when you're on your way to uh, Disney World. Yeah. You know, when are we going to stop? I have to go to the bathroom. He's like, shut up. <laughs> so they finally stop and just random luck. Yeah. They step on the biggest oil reserve in the, in the world. They, yes. they, they literally probably were digging a hole to take a shit in the Look, desert. Honestly, swear <laughs> to God. A squirting in the asshole with oil. Yeah, and, and that's, then they become like the Beverly Hillbillies. And they are like, where, where? <laughs> you look at all, all these royal families are the Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> the Un, the the, uh, the the uh, you know the Il Dynasty, the Kim Dynasty. I mean, they're all morons. Yeah, they absolutely are, and that's exactly what that's how it got out of control with Saudi Arabia. Oh, was, was Osama bin Laden's mother on a rocking chair tied to the top of the car, <laughs> probably driving through the desert like, with the shotgun? <laughs> well, that's. Unfortunately, what happened is that Saudi Arabia did come across, come upon some of the most rich oil reserves in the entire world. They're too powerful for right. the United States to control oh, anymore. Totally. They, they're not controlled. They're not influenced. They are a quote-unquote ally. And when everyone talks about oil, they often just talk about using it in cars, lawnmowers, things like that. Oh. Every one of your Lunchables, every single plastic that we touch, everything is created from oil. It literally created... America does not exist without Saudi Arabia's oil. Yeah, petroleum. Petroleum. Like, right. that, that is the biggest thing. You know, people think about oil like it's, yeah, exactly. It's not just cars, but everything is made from petroleum. I can only think You're of Lunchables. <laughs> yeah, why is, is it? it? <laughs> and, and, okay, yeah, I, I want to yeah, point that out right there is that, well, Ben, there are literally everything. billions Anything. of things that yeah. you could have named there. Mm -hmm. The first thing that came to your mind 
was Lunchable. Man, Marcus, you lunch- know that what Ben likes most is fake hair. <laughs> oh, I love right? it. And what Ben likes second most is a big old butt. <laughs> and the third thing that he likes most is a is a shirt in lo- long sizes. <laughs> oh, yes, I have to, of course. So now, the 9-11 Commission, which we didn't really talk about. And- Boo! Boo! <laughs> I want to make a Raz. Can we get Raz noises every single time yeah. we, we say the 9-11 Commission? Well, the 9-11 Commission, I can see both sides on this. I can see on one side that, yes, they did hide some things, but they were also stonewalled at every at every fucking point. Every time they tried yeah. to ask, they were completely stonewalled, and many of their questions were never actually answered. People you know what I also rest. found really interesting in my research? There was also a commission uh, investigating Pearl Harbor that had very similar connections to, of course, 9-11 because, uh, because of the, the, the outcome of yeah. both. Right. It's yeah. like it's very interesting. There were de- it's a very it's a weird part of like conspiracy history that I think is kind of overlooked a little bit where if you go into there were people just like it's and it was a different style of commission because, you know, what I mean, like back in the day, they could yell at the president where mm-hmm. now everyone has to like not do that anymore. It's like about propriety where they were like, you, you killed our boys. Good sir. You ruined the skies. Hawaii. Good sir. You know, it's like it's very intense conspiracy theorists. Yeah, exactly. It's not the funny thing is people think about these commissions as if they're independent, you know, uh, um, entities. These are all part of the government. I mean, it it is it's 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 like if the New England Patriots that had Deflategate happen with Tom Brady, and if the Tom Brady, if Bill Belichick was like, I will investigate, (laughs) I will get to the bottom of it. So there is no real such thing as transparency, and that's why, of course, they were blocked everywhere they uh, everywhere they tried to go. Because at the end of the at the end of the day, they also still want to have a job. It's like when people like when you work in an office and you get together a group of people that are all going to decide what's the field trip for the summer. Right. So the 9-11 Commission, of course, they were formed to investigate the attacks on mostly like on mostly the terroristic aspects on who is responsible uh, for these attacks. The 9-11 Commission report has 28 pages missing from the final release, 28 redacted pages. And this guy, Senator Bob Graham, he said that the evidence, quote, points a very strong finger at Saudi Arabia as the principal financier of the 9-11 hijackers. And the reason why I find this very interesting, why he's just not saying it, is because the only time he trots this out is when Saudi and U.S. relations are strained. Right. You know, when they're strained and they're like, and Saudi Arabia's like, oh, I don't think we want to do what America wants to do anymore. He goes, so what about those uh, 28 pages, huh? Right. And they also, they treat these 28 pages like a holy grail. Uh, you, It's very difficult to get security clearance enough to go and see it. And then, of course, when you do go, you cannot take pictures. You can't do anything. You can't take them out of a room. You're heavily monitored with armed guards. And they walk out of there, and it does look as if they have just seen an epiphany. The first time that this, that this guy spoke, his eyes were wide as if, he, as if he just took a bunch of acid. And it's just like, <laughs> birds or dogs, if you think about how brains are. And like, I have no idea what that means. But, you know, so it's very interesting how sacred these documents have become yeah exactly well, you also want to look at the minutes that were cut out of richard nixon's all of those recordings and all this stuff every single time something is redacted mm-hmm. means that our government is doing a lot of footwork to make sure that the people don't know yeah. what's going on because to have something be that obviously out in the open and be like and this is stuff that we don't talk about means that it's 
I mean, it's unbelievable because it would shatter the global relationship between Saudi Arabia and America, even though we're, we're pointing that big fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger finger at them whenever mm-hmm. we want. Mm-hmm. It's, I don't know. Although you know? with the decline of oil prices and with the, um, they're, they're running out of oil, Saudi Arabia, we'll find out very quickly in the next few decades yeah. uh, how much we really like them as people. I guarantee you. Yeah, we'll, Saudi okay, Ar- I know, yes, we've run out of oil, but what we do have are these warehouses full of pet rocks. Oh. <laughs> now that you like them, huh? you put googly eyes on rocks, it's now animal. <laughs> I kind of do like that. Sofas, recliners, love seats, everything is better in leather. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley, where bold meets durable. And wait a minute, who's been finger painting on the couch again? That's okay, leather is easy to clean. The new leather collection at Ashley is built with the durability you need for the whole family. Yes, pets too. Luxury is meant to be livable. Shop chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Another thing to think about with this is that there was a 2005 CIA report uh, that the Saudi government themselves had nothing to do with the attacks, but three, oh, no. but three paragraphs of redacted information could point to rogue elements within the government having direct involvement. That is something that we will definitely cover later on on the American side. Rogue elements mm-hmm. within the government. It sounds like a good old-fashioned Cheney sleepover. <laughs> Go and he roll. loves to have them. And you know what? Mm-hmm. His mom will let you watch as many R-rated movies as you guys can watch until you fall asleep. She will? <laughs> Even the Lost Boys? <laughs> Never the Lost Boys. Oh, God damn it. You know there's a Kiefer Sutherland band in this home. <laughs> That's not right. But I do want to say, I want to point out, Nixon's, uh, the things they redacted from that was just a whole series of phlegm sounds. It sounded like a man eating an oyster. And he said, this is my, this is my legacy. Can you get rid of yeah? And him going like, okay, now what is the meanest way I can say the word kike? Let me just tell me, or is it cry? That sounds meanest. Listen to me, Henry. <laughs> we could talk about Nixon forever. We'll talk about really good. Uh, so. Again, you know, with the uh, big conspiracy theories, the other ones, you know, okay, so the hijackers, they were not on the planes, their names aren't on the manifests, blah, blah, blah. All of this stuff is very easily explained if you spend 10 minutes on a fucking Google search. It's all very easily what explained. What did you Google search, though, so people can do that? Uh, just Google search um, hijackers, plane manifests, uh, and it will explain to you how, why they say, okay, because a lot of conspiracy thought, okay, so what happened with the passenger manifest? They say when the fat, when the, uh, American airlines first released them, there were no Arab sounding names on them. Uh, but yeah, the because reason they're not going to go with their Arab names. They're going to go as, yes, my name is Bill Sanderson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. You can see right here on my, on my ID. It says Bill Sanderson. Well, the problem with that is that, uh, and of course everyone is going to fucking go nuts over this, but, Airlines, they have a strict policy of not releasing names until next of kin has been notified. You see it every single time, all this stuff. Every time there's an aircraft that crashes, they don't release the names of every single person on board. They release the names of everybody that is pretty much everyone that's been contacted. Mm. So whether these names are Arabic or not, they're still not going to release these names. And then later on, they did release these names. But, of course, conspiracy theorists say, well... They could have easily added those names afterwards. They could have easily done that. 
It's like, well, then why didn't they fucking do it in the first place? That's also another thing about conspiracy thought that is very annoying to deal with is the goalposts are constantly moving. Right. And then I love the also the conspiracy thought of like, how is it so easy for them to board the planes with um, uh, the, the uh, box cutters? With, with the yeah. box cutters. And I always like to say it was before 9-11. <laughs> um, so it was just like they had 20 more minutes of freedom where you could still get on a board with uh, on a plane with a box cutter. And they took it. But they should have known that something was going to change when they were going, you know, when they were, you know, going through the security measures and all the guys were like, you know, all this shit's going to change in like fucking 24 hours, bro. You know, <laughs> what do you think? All your jobs are going to become much more of a pain in the ass. huh? I mean, I'm just I'm just saying I got the feeling. huh? So tell me, um, have you heard of a of, of Rosie O'Donnell? She's big. <laughs> <laughs> What do you so think? So funny. That, anyway, it's got to get on this plane. I didn't understand. I'm going to fly it into the World Trade Center. I'm joking. Of course, <laughs> not joking. I, I'm joking. Not, not joking. Great Rosie O'Donnell joke that guy was telling. God, I, I love working here. <laughs> it's so, really weird how he opened up that bag of shit, bag of chips with the edge of his shoes. <laughs> <laughs> there were also other claims that these people were not religious extremists whatsoever. Uh, but the people that say that they weren't religious extremists, you're kind of losing the forest for the trees here. It's like, for example, a stripper in Florida claimed to have quote unquote dated Muhammad Atta, the most famous of all the hijackers during his time in Florida when he was training to be a pilot saying that he was a drunk cokehead who just loved nothing more than to fuck day and night. And you know, she was just like, oh, you know, I was fucking one of them Browns last week mm-hmm. and it must have been one of them 9-11 hijackers. You could tell he was suspicious <laughs> in the way he was and he was always sticking his arms out and making plain noises. <laughs> he told me I was the tower. <laughs> I mean, it may be true that he was fucking around, that he was, you know, going to Vegas, that they were all going to Vegas. All that might very possibly be true. The only problem with this witness, though, this stripper who a lot of conspiracy theorists cite is that she, when pressed further, said that the guy that she was fucking was over six feet tall. Muhammad Atta was five seven. Mm -hmm. And when this stripper finally produced a photograph turns out she was just fucking some middle eastern dude in florida and then decided after he just completely disappeared from her life he must be the worst terrorist in the history of the fucking united states and i don't know now that i think about it he was italian and his name was brian (laughs) yeah and i don't want to discredit strippers there's a lot of honest strippers out (laughs) there the other day i was at pumps a great strip club in williamsburg uh, brooklyn and a woman said oh aren't you attractive handsome So she called, honest. She called me handsome. So I knew she was telling so, the truth. Yeah. So sweet. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because she was like, you know, because my problem is, is I knew that once he get a taste of my sweet gulch, there is no way he's going to want to bring down America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she did. She did refer to her vagina as a sweet gulch. Yeah, that's a, that's true, Edward. Were you there? Or, no. Were you the stripper? Oh, my. Well, let's uh, move away from strippers right now and move to hard court documents. Because if you'll remember, the hijackers were trained at a flight school in Sarasota, Florida. And in January of just this year, a federal judge started reviewing 80,000 pages of documents that relate to a prominent Saudi Arabian family who lived in Sarasota, who had extensive contacts with three of the hijackers while they attended flight school. In Mm. fact, a few days before the attacks, the family left the country with dinner on the table and a brand new PT Cruiser in the driveway. Whoa. As Bob Graham said, 
as though they'd been tipped something was going to happen and they'd better not be in the country when it did. You know, I'll give uh, Clinton and Hillary and even Donald Trump some leeway when it comes to like Jeffrey Epstein being a pedophile. The man knew a lot of people, right? (laughs) For one family to know three out of the 15 Saudi hijackers, that just doesn't seem like a spurious relationship. That seems (laughs) like they had to kind of know what was going on. And then also, I love Middle Eastern culture and I love Middle Eastern food. You don't leave dinner on the table. <laughs> I, and you know what it is, too? Yeah. There's nothing a Middle Eastern family loves more than a brand spanking new PT Cruiser. I, yeah. And there ain't no way they're leaving that behind. No, no. I am going to say this in terms of conspiratorial thought. The thing that does still reek to high heaven is the skills level of these of the of the hijackers when it comes to uh piloting the planes the 757s i will admit that is the only thing i cannot figure out or explain everything they else said, i have some sort of i everything else i have some sort of answer to this i have none they were um, called piss poor student pilots uh they did not pay attention in class hani hanjor the guy who made what was then coined a almost professional level turnaround in a 757 in order to to land it in dead in the middle of a wall on the side of the pentagon right it's this crazy maneuver he did this huge turn going 500 miles an hour and then he was 30 feet above the ground it's incredibly difficult to do well the huge turn was uh he was a First headed right towards a section of the building that housed all of the top brass in the Pentagon, and that's why he made the crazy turn and came back around and crashed into the Pentagon. I mean, like, yes, it was, it, I, like and he a like, month before he was said that he was not allowed to fly solo in his flight class because his skill level was not yet was not ready for him to fly alone. Well, haven't you he, watched any good 80s sports movies montages? You can learn a lot in a month. Look at the bad, <laughs> new, bad news bears, uh, Major League. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they listen to some inspirational 80s movies, put on uh, music, put on some high socks. You can learn anything. <laughs> it was like the fat kids at camp who somehow beat the athletic kids at the, in the fucking serpentine race with the eggs on the Absolutely. <laughs> But what we have here, right, is that with, so certain things that came out about, like, specifically Flight 77 when it was landing in the Pentagon, people specifically were looking out and they saw the plane coming. They're like, oh, good, that's our backup. That is that is a plane being flown by a professional pilot. That is a military pilot. Well, there, it then, coincidentally, landed into the side of the Pentagon that was being completely, uh, it was being completely rejiggered. To be uh, uh, renovated, just renovated, Re- rejiggered, rejiggered is that is uh, that is completely acceptable. Oh, all right, all right, all right. Dog meat says okay, okay, okay. Thank you, dog meat. <laughs> but it's basically it was made to withstand to uh, withstand a uh, either a missile attack or a plane colliding into it. It was completely the whole wing was completely evacuated. That's why only 125 people died, which is sad to even say that number. Only uh, there were many things about the site of the crash that are really specifically very suspicious, and it's uh, that that whole storyline is very. All of, I want to all say of that. that. I mean, I, I can honestly say the flight plan is the only thing that is not really explainable there. All of the rest of it is completely explainable. It is why would they, if they were going for maximum damage, why would they hit the only reinforced part of the Pentagon? Well, that's the whole thing. They actually, they they went two for four. Yeah. You know, and these things happen. Randy Johnson hit a bird with a, oh, with a baseball. 
You know, it's like David Tyree made one of the most amazing catches in sports history. Nobody thought. I mean, it, I, they went two and they went two for four, and you know, you can definitely tell when they hit when the first plane hit. It is like going all over the place. Yeah, it didn't like hit like dead on. He was just like, oh my god, pr- you know, please, you know, I hope I hit something. All right, so now we've got the Saudis. We've established what is going on with them. We've established that they have a side to this. Like there is people within the Saudi government and people and Saudi Arabian citizens that are very heavily invested on team hijack. Now then there's Mm. team government. There's team corporation. There is the other side to this. And who is the leader of the side on American soil? Mr. Dick Cheney. <laughs> also, he's known as the fucking penguin. Literally, the most visibly evil of our, of any leader right. we've ever had. Anybody who can't make a full smile can't be. Should not be in public office. Also, he shouldn't be in public. Office. If you watch interviews with him, watch when he does smile. Yeah, <laughs> like people will literally be like, "So, three thousand people on nine eleven died." <laughs> It's it's always at these very morbid moments where he gives that little smirk, which I think is a tell that he's going to say something that's uh, untrue. Yeah, he's also just constantly biting on a leather strap to keep from fucking snapping at people, like literally biting people's noses off. Oh, the S&M sex of Dick Cheney, can you imagine? (laughs) So Dick Cheney, in case you're too young to remember, he was the vice president under George W. Bush from 2001 to 2009 and had been present in the White House in one one aspect or another since the Nixon administration. He was Gerald Ford's chief of staff when he was, what, 33, 32? 32, I believe. He was the youngest chief of staff in history. And you got to think, yeah. the chief of staff, that's the man in charge of the White House, pretty much. Now, with, you, with this sort of influence over decades, this man has watched the political climate and, and and sort of international climate of America and the world change for mm-hmm. a long time. He's he's got a lot of uh, involvement in where our country's been. He's been listening to presidents talk about the future of America for sixty years and really give advice to them. He also was he was there before and he was there after uh, you know trilateral commission and before really government became lesser than corporations. Yeah, yeah, he really was, and, and he also uh, imagine the connections he made. In that time. Oh, it's crazy. I mean, just like the the, the favors that he garnered and during that time. If, just watch some document. There's one called The World According to Dick Cheney, which is oh, amazing. You don't great. become, uh, you don't get that high, high position uh, at such a young age in government without being totally, uh, he's a megalomaniac and people hate him. Yeah. He's, a, he's a real scumbag. He would use everything against people. I mean, unbelievably terrible person. I mean, the line that I find to be most indicative of who he is is from that documentary when he says, it's more important to be successful than to be loved. <laughs> Oh, but he, exactly. He says it with that. He's got the wet lip thing going on. It's it's everything that's disgusting. It, like he looks like he's slamming sardines and constantly, you know, not salty enough. <laughs> so after being a part of Gerald Ford's staff, uh, he spent twelve years as a senator from Wyoming, and then in 1989 he became George H. W. Bush's defense secretary. And for those of you who are versed in the history of the early 90s. You'll know that the first Bush presidency was also the first Gulf War, of which Dick Cheney was a very large part of 
as defense secretary. Now, and he was heavily lauded for how efficient a job he did yes. in the, Fulf Gulf, the yes. first Gulf War. And he was actually reasonable about it. About the first Gulf War, this was from a C in, or I think a C-SPAN interview he did in 94 after he had been out of office. They asked him, and this is also a question I think a lot of people asked when we went into Iraq the second time, why didn't you go into Baghdad? Why didn't you go after Saddam? Why didn't you take him out the first time we were there? And what Dick Cheney said, he said it would be vastly, vastly expensive, it would create a civil war, and there would be no exit strategy, which right. is exactly what happened when we went in the second time and is still happening today. And, and what is very interesting, too, is that we're going to see what also makes Dick Cheney, fucking Rick Cheney, one of the worst villains of modern U.S. history is his sheer adaptability. What he, oh, yeah. what he that, that was the right for the time. It wasn't until he got the infrastructure, until he built up the power of the president later on down the line, that he can then really switch to being full hawk and well, being like, now we're going to carry this into the future. Well, he was definitely always a full hawk. But, uh, you know, keep in mind, and this is also the time in the early 90s, the U.S. and, the, and uh, Saddam were saying we weren't enemies at all, really. Uh, you know, Rumsfeld had met with Saddam. We didn't mind that uh, he, we helped put him in power. And, you know, we... We were looking for a new enemy. We had the forever war going on with the Cold War. Obviously, we fought that in Vietnam, and people were terrified. Russia's pretty much gone at this point. We need to figure out a new enemy, and the war on terrorism wasn't coined yet. So there was no option, and Saddam was the only stabilizing force in that region, and we didn't realize how much money we could make quite yet by completely destabilizing it. Yeah, and speaking to that point right there, in 1997, between the Bush presidencies, the Project for the New American Century was founded, which the Project for the New American Century was a Washington think tank that included 10 future Bush administration officials, including Dick Cheney and Bush's Secretary of Defense, Donald Rumsfeld. One passage suggested that the transformation of American armed forces through, quote, new technologies and operational concepts, those things that cost a lot of money to make and to spell. Mm -hmm. Yes, he said they, they said that that transition was likely to be a long one, quote, Absent some catastrophic and catalyzing event like a new Pearl Harbor. But very similar to what FDR did, like you mentioned, with, with Pearl Harbor. And then as mm -hmm. soon as we had the perfect piggyback of, uh, to end World War II, the using of the bomb was the perfect piggyback to be like, let's just continue this going. Yeah. It was, I, it was awesome. I mean, I don't, I don't know if uh, like World War II necessarily was as malicious as this No, was. but the like, using yeah. of the bomb then led us to be like, where's yeah. our new enemy? We constantly need an enemy. I mean, yeah. this is how nations, this is all nations are. Which is also what Eisenhower warned against after World War II, the, the entire military-industrial complex. Like all of this stuff, it's like we just learn how much money we can make. They learn yeah. how much money you can launder putting it into black ops, into secret government programs and in military technology. You can just put money around all over the place, which is the basis for what we believe is the secret government. I mean, this is just a, one of those things that's like a, the secret government kind of showing its face, the and, project of the new American century. And that's one of the great ironies of Eisenhower. He saw war. He was a huge military man, and he was the only one who actually went to battle and was like, we cannot do this. Yeah. Every, all these other elitist, rich pieces of shit are so happy. Yeah. With war, because they like to watch it on TV from a bunker. Yeah. They never had to go fight one. Exactly. And it's a great cover for money laundering. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge. So in the year 2000, George W. Bush wins the nomination to run for president on the Republican ticket. He asks mm. Dick Cheney to be his vice president. 
Cheney, who in the eight years between the Bush presidencies had become CEO of Halliburton Oil. First of all, he, first time he refuses. He says, uh, you know, I'm not going to do it. You know, Gerald Ford said it was the worst six years of his life. I'll take, but I'll find someone for you. As a I like favor- watching penguins being covered in slick, slick mm. oil. <laughs> watching them dance, their final dance of death makes me giggle and laugh. I just love the feeling of being alive then, knowing <laughs> I won. I beat the all of the pelicans. So I'm a good judge of character. I'll go find the VP for you. <laughs> so Cheney, he says that he looks around. He says that he sees no. He goes through a bunch of people like ah no 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 no. He literally just like lifts up two hats like yeah. in his room, going like no, don't see a vice president under there. Let's see if it's in the junk drawer. Don't see a vice president under there. But the you know this is the exact same thing that dudes do oftentimes. With girls that they're in love with, but they pretend to be okay with the friend zone. They're like, "It's okay, Becky. We're gonna find you a good guy." And you're like, "Oh, I think that guy's kind of a dickhead, huh?" Show it. Put a chode over there. And then two years later, he's like, "But what about me?" And then of course she says, "No." Of course, of course. But W wasn't so smart. So Cheney, he looks around. He says, "There's, there's no worthy candidate for this job except me. I'm the only one that's gonna be able to do this." Yeah, I know. I said the first time that I'm not gonna do it, but now that I look around, and I see that there's nobody right. else that's possibly qualified. Nobody else. In America. What a gift. Thank you so much, Dick. <laughs> what a great gift you've given me. He and- also required one of the most stringent uh, testing policies for any vice president, like, con- con- what's it, uh, any vice president candidate ever before. Yeah, betting. Huge financial summaries he was making them give, uh, years of health reviews and all this shit. And what's so weird is that when Cheney chose himself to be vice president. He didn't have to give any of that financial or health information. <laughs> and the fact he'd already had three heart attacks. Right. And can't, we couldn't get him? <laughs> like, he couldn't have died on one of those? So Dick Cheney, mm-hmm. he gives up a salary of $4.7 million a year as CEO at Halliburton. Now, let me ask you, how much money does, did Cheney get from Halliburton to quit his job as CEO and run for vice president of the United States? Zero. He quit. There's no way you're going to give him money, right? When I quit Taco Bell, they didn't give me any more tacos for free. (laughs) Dick Cheney received from Halliburton. This is in his financial disclosure to the White House. This is not rumor. This is not hearsay. This is fact. Thirty-four million dollars now is that enough to buy a president (laughs) in 2000 yes and let me go ahead and tell you right now that halliburton oil a little bit of a spoiler alert for you they were the oil company that received a one billion dollar no bid contract from the government after the Iraq War. Now, I don't know about no you. Way. No way. I don't know about you, but a fucking $34 million investment with a $1 billion return is a pretty fucking good deal. That's why I play the slots in Atlantic City. <laughs> you put in five bucks, you can take out 25 bucks on occasion. Have you ever played that scratch-off porker night? Because mm. you get three piggies in a row, you can win up to $1,000. Yeah. <laughs> 75 cents. I love porker night. So as vice president, Dick Cheney enjoyed powers unprecedented in the history of the office. He was present at all important meetings. And so also, 
was very interesting. Because if you remember, in the year 2000, during the transition from the during that whole election debacle, while everyone was spreading and lawyers were fighting about the recount to see who won the presidency, Dick Cheney was already in the office organizing the entire government. He yeah. took over the entire transition of the government, which no vice president has ever done. He made all the calls. He put he put all of the cabinet members in place. Well, it was the whole government was literally created by Dick Cheney. It's like it's supervillain level. It's like well, literally <laughs> he got his hands so deep inside the government so that he can make any move he wanted. And that all goes back to the Supreme Court justices that were chosen Rehnquist under Reagan, uh, you know, Clarence Thomas. It was a five five to four straight decision. The Supreme Court says the justices supposedly non-political uh-huh. literally decided to the presidency of the United States would go to. Yeah, it was despicable. It was it, crazy. We can't get into it. I, I thought about maybe getting into the 2000 election a little bit, but if you don't know anything about it, just go see... Uh, we'll do some top just, hat about we'll it. We'll do a top hat about it, but yeah, just go see when democracy died. Like, when we lost. Because that's when it happened. Right. It's just important to know that stuff like this, right, are reasons why the conspiracy thought may really be true. Dick Cheney really was a puppet master. He, he really had a lot of influence in the government. A lot of what he said went. He got to know they were saying the thing about him is because he could go in all those meetings, he could formulate policy as it worked its way up to the president. He was he was very manipulative and very smart. He was gunning for if he wanted something he was going to do whatever it takes to get it mm-hmm. and you know w did not want him to be the uh, vice president dick cheney actually said that he would resign uh rumsfeld was the exact same way but D- w thought it would lose him the election if he went into the second term without having dick cheney because it would look unstable wow. and they didn't speak that entire four years they hate each other they've just recently i think they just had one um conversation in like the past like two years what, do they get together for brunch they hate each other yeah. they despise each other uh, w i hate that french dick toast it's for gays yeah <laughs> <laughs> w thinks Dick Cheney ruined his presidency, well, he and he did. did. So. He absolutely because did. Because Dick Cheney also, because that was the time too. Because Bush finally stood up and shut down the warrantless uh, phones after nine eleven happened. When he had his whole like warrantless phone tapping thing, Bush just didn't know. And, and Cheney was manipulating everything around him, mm-hmm. letting him get the documents whenever he was going to get the documents. And like literally, Bush was like, eh, "What's happening?" Eh, that's my Bush impression. You bet that's it's Bob like, Dylan. It's Bob Dylan. Eh, eh, I don't sense. believe that. No, no, sir. no. Again, no. You got to make it legal. You got to make it legal. Right. Well, that's the thing. They don't give presidents. Uh, oftentimes, they don't give them a lot of information, so then they can uh, deny and do it with a. They could pass a lie detector test. Plausible deniability. Right. Plausible that, deniability. That's what it's all about. Uh, the whole. What is that? When did you know? And what did you know? And when did you know it? Right. Like that. That's all of that is designed to. I mean, it's pretty much Nixon proofing everything. Yeah, which is why fucking Barack Obama doesn't technically know anything about the the Gaeta Treaty or how the amount of work we're doing with the Greys right now in order to make hologram <laughs> things to make fuck so so that fucking Jennifer Aniston can show up in your living room. Because he doesn't know. And that's why he can belittle the alien movement as much as he likes. So on August 6th of 2001, a report, the, the famous report that we've all heard of, Bin Laden determined to strike U.S. is read during a CIA briefing to the president, of which Dick Cheney, of course, was president among explicit threats to Washington, D.C., allusions to the 1993 World Trade Center bombing, and reports that al-Qaeda members were living or traveling in the U.S. for years. The report also explicitly mentions passenger airlines being used in terrorist 
attacks. Again, this is true and verifiable, not, not rumor or conjecture. And then what they say too, right, a part of the reason why 9-11 happened is because they believed there was this concept called failure of imagination. That's what the 9-11 Commission came forward and said. Failure of imagination, they never thought that they were going to fly planes into buildings. They never had prepared for them to fly planes into buildings. But that is jack shit, totally wrong. Yes. There is a thing called uh, Amalgam Virgo, which is a part of a training program, and was basically like because of this whole thing was like you know vigilant guardian, all the things that happened on nine eleven, the big massive like weird military tests that were happening. They specifically were looking for people hijacking planes and using them as weapons right. with a fucking picture of Osama bin Laden on the front of the memo, and it was it's insane. It's yeah. just like you fucking assholes. Well, the, they knew about the whole goddamn time. Yeah, maybe they didn't know the goddamn day, but as soon as the shit started going down, where was Rummy? <laughs> you know what I mean, where was, was goddamn Rummy? He was drinking. Don't tell it. me. I'm like I've been. I don't have been drinking for days and yelling at the fish in here. Maybe he was taking a dump. Who yeah. knows? And by but, the way, Henry, I've been sober for days because I've had to be. I've had to be sober to get all this shit, and that's even harder. Right. But, you know, one of the funny things is the government says these things to try to wash their hands of it, but I'm of the mind where I think it's almost more terrifying when they're like, oh, never thought of that. Of yeah. course they thought of that. Naturally yeah. they thought of that. Everybody, as soon as you may, as soon as the first building that was over two stories was ever created in the history of time, someone was like, what if I run into the top of it? No, <laughs> of course they thought of it. It's it's scarier to yeah. think that they didn't. Yeah. And or well, to People that they in the didn't. 1880s and those weird plane bikes crashed into pharmacies. I'm sure. <laughs> All the, thank God I got the medicine right here. You know, and some say some people say like, you know what? Nothing, nothing was done about this. There was, in fact, and this is from NBC, a directive sitting on George W. Bush's desk three days before September 11th that was a plan to wage a war against specifically. Al Qaeda, and it said that the invasion of Afghanistan happened so quickly because the plans only needed to be pulled off the shelf. Nothing needed to be drawn up. Nothing needed to be thought out. It had already been thought out, and it was just waiting to be pulled. And that is and that but is from NBC. That is yeah. from NBC News. And, and, and I, what I found, of course, in, in researching this, uh, of course, when we when we shifted focus, uh, a lot of stuff actually started coming back to my memory from like the angry 2003 to oh, 2006 yeah, yeah. Iraq War years. A yeah, lot back of us, when your hair was like back past your shoulders and you were wearing a lot of Pantera shirts and yeah. screaming about the government. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 it was way past my shoulders. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I did not have a civilized conversation with my brother for literally five years. Right. Uh, but all of this stuff started coming back. All of this, um, all of this actually true things. There was so much information being put out after 9-11. There was a lot of good journalism being done, and it is all out there. There's just so much of it, right? and so little of it received big attention. And it's not like you know mainstream media or anything like that. It's not like it only exists on InfoWars. It exists on the NBC sites. It exists on the New York Times. It's, it's everywhere. everywhere. Have- it's just on page 8. Right, right, right. And of course... You've been talking about this too. And George Bush was talking about fucking Saddam Hussein a month after he was inaugurated. They were already... They had already been... There were things put into place for a long time. They were ready to go. They just needed an excuse. They needed a new Pearl Harbor. And what a convenient thing that happened for them. Yeah, Rumsfeld wanted to get him immediately, Saddam Hussein. Dick Cheney pressed and pressed and pressed to see if it was Iraq. But I will say... 
in the defense of the government to some degree, if they really did want to blame it on Iraq, they could have just set it up to be Iraqis in there. Yeah. You know, that's why it was so crazy that Iraq was even like they, we were all we were all so confused at that time and all fu- so full of rage. They could have channeled the patriotism and nationalism in any which direction. We could have, you know, God, God forbid, really gotten our environmental order. We could have gotten we could have gotten like everyone would have been clean energy for like they would have been on board with anything the government said. But of course, uh, governments take you to war. Of yeah. course. So on the day of the attacks, of course. George Bush is out of town in Florida. Now, his first address to the nation, we all remember, we're going to get those folks that did this heinous act. And it's just it's just amazing that he used the word folks mm-hmm. in response to the worst terrorist attack in amazing history. It yeah. still just He wasn't supposed to deal with this shit. Bush was never <laughs> supposed to have to deal with yeah, it. Was, we said it in the last episode right. where, where he said that I never campaigned on being a wartime president. No, he didn't. He campaigned on education. Yeah. And, uh, you know, yeah, when he says folks, I'm thinking, did like two elders and an elderly couple swinging on the front stoop and uh, rocking <laughs> chairs like plan this entire thing? Like folks is... <laughs> Folks, you know those Saudi Arabian <laughs> folks who uh, have jihad in their hearts and want to take down America? You know those kind folks? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it just cuts to anybody, folks, is anybody who's churning butter. It doesn't matter what they say, but they were definitely churning butter. It was goat butter. Yeah. And it was them being like, well, you know that America is the great devil, and we got to kill as many of them as possible, yeah? Well, yeah. I hope you enjoy some farm-fresh gold milk. After that, after that first address to the nation, Bush is unavailable. Until 7 p.m. that night, Cheney is at the White House in the war room and is, for all intents and purposes, president on September 11th by design. Well, Liz, we finally made it to the White House. (laughs) Finally made it to the Oval Office. You know, when I come down to think about it, would I have killed 3,000 people to be president again? (laughs) Yep. Every time, yep. 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 (laughs) So, in a testimony to the 9-11 Commission, uh, much of which, by by the way, uh, a lot of this testimony was omitted from the final report. Uh, In this testimony, former Secretary of Transportation Norma Mineta, who was president, said about a specific order Cheney gave about Flight 77 on the way to the Pentagon... Now, this is actually how he sounded. I've heard this speech several times. All right. I was made aware of it during the time that the airplane coming into the Pentagon, there was a young man who had come in and he had said to the vice president, the plane is 50 miles out, the plane is 30 miles out, and what got down to, the plane is 10 miles out. The young man also said to the vice president, did the order still stand? And the vice president turned. And whipped his neck around and said, "Of course, the order still stand. Have you heard anything in the contrary?" <laughs> now, but to be to be fair, he, just, he was discussing the order of lobster that they had gotten from the kitchen in the White House, and he was very hungry on nine eleven. And then he had a flamethrowing umbrella that he he opened and closed several times and shot flame all over a uh, shot all over several hot dogs that we put on the grill next to him. Mm-hmm. And he said, lunch, I love lunch. It's my favorite meal because yeah. it's in the center of the day. It's the most inconvenient meal. Intern, come and chew up the bacon for me. Chew up the bacon and spit in my mouth, little baby bird. Yeah. 
<laughs> so regarding that day and Dick Cheney and Dick Cheney setting up himself to be in just the right position in May of 2001, Dick Cheney was placed in charge of managing the seamless integration of all training exercises throughout the federal government and military agencies. He was made that by presidential mandate. George Bush essentially said to him, all right, Dick, you take care of this. This is your deal. You have complete and total control over all training exercises in the entire government. So the, he was in charge of the war games. He was in, in charge words, of the war games. Which you would think would be a, sec- again, previous Secretary of Defense. Yes. But you would think it would be the current Secretary of Defense and the current President's responsibility. You would think so. And on the morning... And Dom Ronsfeld was just whittling pictures, whittling statues of graphically naked women <laughs> in another room. And Dick Cheney was like, by that point he had received the, the, the President, he gave him his gift. He had, a, he had an Amazon wish list for his birthday. Oh. And what he gave him was a silver-tipped cane and a big white cat that he would just stroke in the other room. <laughs> so on the morning of 9-11, there were multiple war games and terror drills being conducted all under the management and direction of Dick Cheney, including a drill on the west side of Manhattan called Tripod 2, which set up a command and control center that was configured exactly like the one in Building 7 and was under Cheney's management before the hijackings occurred. And while the government says that they had never thought that something like this could ever happen, there had been 46 Mm -hmm. separate drills to prepare NORAD for this exact type of scenario. And in fact, September 11th itself was day two of Vigilant Guardian, which was an exercise that would pose an imaginary crisis to North American air defense outposts nationwide. And there were, uh, you know, jets that were normally there for protection in the United States were scrambled. They were over in Canada. They were all over the country. Like things were heavily, there was a lot of air traffic and things were moving all yeah. over the place. There were some in and, Russia as well. Yes. And so they were, uh, there was a lot of stuff going on in 9-11. It wasn't just specifically the day of 9-11. It right. just happened to be that they were running a drill in Manhattan for some crazy reason uh, <laughs> that uh, that during the same exact time that caused a lot of confusion. Right. Yeah. No, these things, this all began under when, when he was, when Dick Cheney became Secretary of Defense. Yeah. And the Secretary of State, you know? Yeah, exactly. It was like he was preparing for a forever war um, <laughs> without there being a war yet. It was right. like he was well, just preparing it. for it, like it was just going to happen one day for yeah. some reason. I mean, right. and think about these drills. Think about the daisy chain of, is this a drill? No, it's oh, real yeah. life. Is this a drill? No, it's real life. Over, and one person to the next person. To the, and we hear, hear that. Like, that is one of the, the clips that they play over and over again, is the people at... Uh, the people talking to the people at American Airlines talking to NORAD, NORAD's like, "Is this a drill?" And they say, "No, it's it's real life." How many times did that happen? Well, you know, I mean, that's just human- also massive chain of command problems on the day of 9/11. The Joint Chiefs of Staff was literally out. His assistant was in. So, in order for you to scramble jets, when the thing happens, when the when the when the planes go off the radar, what how it happens is the FAA calls like the the government like a part of like the, the work of transportation that goes to the joint chiefs of staff that goes to donald rumsfeld that goes to him scrambling jets the, the joint chiefs of staff was gone his his fucking deputy was there it was his first day ever running the position of joint chiefs of staff he didn't really know what to do then they went to go look for donald rumsfeld and there are several people who said donald rumsfeld in the middle of 9-11 when it was happening was nowhere to be seen 
the guy that who's who is the job. The guy that's his job is to be there for that no. one time. He's supposed to be there for a half an hour while nine eleven is happening. That is what he's supposed to do. Oh, he was gone. Yeah, we don't know where he was though. I mean, yeah. you know, just because he wasn't hanging around with some random intern, you know. <laughs> but you know, that's what they do though. Same, to get someone really broken down and then make sure that they're always on their edge. They never really let them know if it's a, if it's a game or if it's not or if it's real. Yeah. You know, Ariel Castro, to use a very micro analogy, what he did with the girls in Cleveland, he would leave and come back, fake leave, see if they were escaping. After five years, they stopped trying to escape. Yeah, exactly. you officially broke them. I mean, that's what you do. Since this was the forty sixth drill. These guys didn't give a shit anymore. Right. Can you imagine one guy being like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I'll get to it." They're like, "Oh my god, the planes are coming. They've they've crashed. We need to scramble the jets." Cuz like, "Yeah, okay, yeah, I'll I'll get to it. I need to fucking I'm going to finish eating my breakfast sandwich." Yeah, I'm reading this Archie comic. Can you believe him and Betty are about to get together? Oh my. Um, I would also, uh, it's uh, very interesting to also, I, I think, to point towards what Ben said, there was a very interesting choice of Dick Cheney to put Ariel Castro on the cabinet for that period mm. period of time yeah, where he right. was, you know, of course, being like, we take the three dollars and we tie them to the pole with the gold, the doglish. We take the towers and I tie them to the pole. They don't have them to me. I tie them to the pole with the doglish. And then finally they were like, Ariel, love your energy. Love your accent. Mm. But we already got one Mexican in the whole scenario. <laughs> we, already a, we already got a Mexican chef. All right, we can't have two of them. Thanks, though, buddy. So despite the machinations of people at the highest levels of government, because, you know, when you look at all this, all it takes is for Dick Cheney to give a couple orders. And not a whole lot of people have to know that all this shit is going on. He has put himself into a position of power where all he has to do is give a few orders, and there does not need to be a conspiracy of thousands upon thousands of people. And in fact, despite their machinations, the American people had chances to stop 9-11 from happening. And we failed. See, intelligence officials have been howling for years about bin Laden and al-Qaeda being the biggest threat to America. And more than one FBI agent said in later interviews, he, they said that their first thought after the planes hit, they didn't even blink. They just like told you so. Yeah, we told you this was going to happen. But, and, I mean, that's why people demonize Bill Clinton so unbelievably heavily, because he didn't go and kill bin Laden when he should have. Everybody knew that he should have. But, you know, he's too busy, you know, cigar popping uh, Monica. I mean, it was unbelievably pathetic. But meanwhile, everyone's just like, oh, what a peaceful time we had in the 90s. Yeah. There is no such thing as peace. No. You have to take action. And Bill Clinton refused to do so. We know Bill, Bill Clinton was doing what the 60s failed to do, was literally make love, not war. Well, he was kind of <laughs> raping an intern. No, nah, he wasn't raping her. <laughs> you know, yeah. Well, he was. He was molesting her. Oh, yeah. Molesting. Well, what Bill Clinton said about why he didn't go get uh, Osama bin Laden uh, is he said, you know what? To do that, I would have had to just destroy this little town called Kandahar. Kandahar mm. is the second most populous city in Afghanistan. It has 500,000 people in it. It's yeah. not a little village. Well, well I'll tell you, the- if he had a big back in his pocket. I would have come and gotten uh, a McDonald's joke. Because of my old, I used to be a lot of McDonald's jokes back in the day. But most of the listeners of this show are 15 years old. <laughs> and they don't remember the hilarious SNL skits oh, featuring my McDonald's 
Precolations. <laughs> anyway, but to the back to that point though. But you know, we did destroy that town. Yeah, and no, no, you know, no, so the, these act these a lack of action just pawned it off to another administration. They they took the action. We're going to see the exact same cycle happen in this next uh, election cycle. Exactly. And I tell you what, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is this right here. The reason why we didn't get these guys. It's another example that we see again and again. And our research and in serial, I mean, this relates to like serial killer investigations, why these guys don't get caught sooner, different law enforcement agencies Mm -hmm. not communicating with each other because they all want to see who has the biggest dick. Mm -hmm. See, the FBI had an informant in California who is going to flight school with two of the hijackers. But since the CIA, who knew that Al Qaeda members were in the country at flight schools, didn't tell them about their investigation, the hijackers slipped through their fingers because the F- the CIA knew that these guys, they're like, all right, these two guys are on a watch list. And the FBI has a guy that they're handling that is going to flight school with two of the hijackers. And they're not, since they aren't talking to each other, these guys just go free. And the ha- well, and the handler asked afterwards, he was just like, yeah, I didn't know. You told me to look for these guys. They weren't there. I didn't tell you about these other guys because you didn't tell me to look for them. We have the greatest intelligence community in the face of the, uh, uh, on earth. But, you know, and, and I think the idea behind that is competitive competitiveness breeds excellence. Yeah. Right? But at some point, after you guys both get like, hey, you're an A number one, you're an all-star, let's have an all-star game. And let's get together <laughs> and let's sit in the same locker room and try to work together a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Also, if we want to talk about a systemic leaning towards letting this event happen, we want to get back into full-on conspiracy view, which is what I view is that it was came from the from what what uh, technically was the head of the pile was Dick Cheney because he was operating on the secret side of the government that Bush was either electively choosing not to be a part of. He let Dick Cheney handle a bunch of shit. There was a decision from the very top to maybe let this happen or maybe give it a little bit of a nudge so that it definitely would happen. They want they wanted this. Dick Cheney wanted this in his blood. He wanted this to be his legacy. They were like, they, this whole point was to to create what, what they said from 1997, a new American century, where, where if you read that document, and that those plans about making American, make, making America the police of the world, and using, eventually we're going to find out using corporations to tie the whole world together in what is essentially the new world order that I now yeah. completely believe in. Because yeah, it's, it, but it's not the UN, it's not a bunch, it's not the Bilderberg Group, it's not all this shit, it's a bunch of fuck, it's McDonald's. It's like, it's these companies that are just massive international conglomerates, and Dick Cheney was a fucking part of Halliburton. He's been hanging out with those guys for fucking years. What was it? 19- They've been trying to make money. This 19- whole thing's about money. Of course. 1933, right? That's when Rothschilds brought everyone together, mm-hmm. brought the eight corporations together, and that's where it all really began. Yeah. That's where it began. I mean, they literally told George W. Bush to go real to read a children's story. <laughs> like, that's what they- Not even read, just listen to one. Right. Pat, pat him on the head, but and the look on his face, the whoopity whoopity what, like look on his face when they're telling him that what's happening, and it's just like it's literally like he may as well have cartoon eyes going like <laughs> boing like out of his face. I think He's such a, a silly man. In his head, I mean, he must have pictured Cheney with fire coming out of his breath, just like a skull of Cheney, just like flying multiple <laughs> times at him, like uh, like yeah. the like the well, just, um, motorcycle. The, the one thing I can't hope, one thing I'm afraid of, is that this means I'm going to have to get in a hand to hand death combat fight. With Dick Cheney. And I'll tell you what, um, I'm pretty scared of that because I don't know. I know that he's got a weak heart and I could maybe I could technically dress as a clown and hide in a box and pop out of it and probably kill him. But I, I hear he's got metal spider legs that come out of a backpack. 
that he got mm-hmm. in his secret office. But you know what? What's what is terrifying is that government isn't in control. Government is not the NWO. Uh, we've been talking about this for a little while. Um, and the scary thing is government is theoretically there for the people. Mm-hmm. Corporations are not. Corporations lie to you on a regular basis. They're there for profit. So the fact that the NWO was actually corporations, it's much, much scarier than if it was actual government. Yes. And who owns our government? The people giving these politicians the money it takes for them to buy their yachts and the children they like to have sex with. That's why you got to vote for <laughs> Donald Trump, everybody. <laughs> oh, this know. is all about. That's, is I don't that even want to talk about okay. it. I don't want to talk about it. You're about really changing. You're spending too much time in Fox News. They don't yeah. like him. They don't like him. No, I'm just joking. So there are multiple examples of intelligence failures. You know, for example, former White House counterterrorism coordinator Richard Clark, he speculated that the CIA intentionally withheld advanced knowledge of two of the 9-11 hijackers from the White House and the FBI in an attempt to cover up the agency's failed effort to recruit the two al-Qaeda members as assets. Is that they were, until the day they got Mm. on the plane, the CIA was trying to court these guys to bring them over to their side. And they didn't, these guys weren't put on watch list. Actually, it wasn't until the day of, it was 19 days before 9-11. Finally, 19 days before 9-11, the CIA goes, all right, uh, actually, no, 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 we've waited as long as we can. We have it. We can't get these guys on our control. Put them on the watch list. Put them on the watch list. Right. No, nowhere near long enough for us to. Maybe today, maybe in 2015, 19 days would have been long enough, but not in 2001, not which 14 w- years ago. Which what we that's also what we discussed with Timoth- uh, Timothy McVeigh and things like that. These people were monitored by the government. Uh, Richard Reed, the shoe bomber, they got him, you know, very, very close to getting on that plane. He had literally had a wick hanging out of his shoe. This is what Marcus and I had a long conversation about the other day about the ideas that they they catch so many very serious terror things out secretly. Um, that they can't let us know because if we were to know how many things, how many times they tried to destroy New York, destroy New York, like five to like a, a month, we would not be able to get on the subway anymore psychologically. So they have to set up these guys and catch them and be like, look what we got. Yeah. We got one. They have to mm-hmm. set up the safe ones. They have to do the sting operations like, okay, this, this safe. This is safe. Okay, we, we got them. Because seriously, yeah, if we did know, like this, New York would turn into a paranoid powder keg. We would be at each other's throats. Yes, we talked about last week about how New Yorkers very much come together uh, during times of crisis. But you also saw after 9-11 how many Arabs and Sikhs that are not even Muslim oh, yeah. got beaten half to death in the streets here in New York City. Oh, absolutely. Chicago had a whole series of vi- violence against them. Just recently, we had a massive Sikh shooting at a Sikh, uh, a shooting at a Sikh temple in Wisconsin. This man's such a moron. Sikhs are some yeah. of the nicest, most peaceful people on the face of the planet. The Ground Zero Mosque was the biggest issue for a couple of years. It literally was a recreation center for people yeah. that were whatever. Maybe some were Muslim. You could be anyone could be there. People yeah. went crazy. Exactly. Yeah. So that the we can't know. We we just cannot know. And yeah, like you said, Ben, like the the CIA and the FBI, they save our lives all the time. They do a great fucking job most of the time. Sometimes it just doesn't work. Or they specifically don't want it to work. Yeah, they specifically allow things to happen. Right. So let's talk about the results of all of this. What happened? Qui. Bono. Oh my god. So starting with the anti-terrorism appropriation of money a week after the 9-11 attacks, it is estimated that the U.S. in the first 
five years of the war on terror, just in the first five years, we have we spent four hundred billion dollars. Right. We are now and, in our fourteenth year, and that is money. Both that is just the money on the books. Yeah. Never mind the money that's off the books. Yeah. Never right. mind the fact that like the promotions that happen after nine eleven. Yeah. Condoleezza Rice got promoted. Uh, the Richard, My- what's his name, Myers, the guy who took over for uh, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, was promoted. These people were all, they all got handouts yeah. after failing on 9-11. Yeah, and these defense contractors, the defense business in America wasn't doing great before 9-11. They hadn't sold a whole lot of weapons before right. 9-11. In fact, Vought Aircraft, they had laid off 20% of its employees, and they were actually on the decline, after the wars began, they received over $1 billion in defense yeah. contracts. And of course, as we all know, the war in Afghanistan gave way to the war with Iraq, which started two years later in 2003, fueled by lies and the anger of the American public, which is exactly what they wanted all of you to feel. That is exactly what they wanted. Right. It was total madness. And the... Uh the axis of evil speech was totally insane, Jesus completely Christ. out yep. there. For the for those that don't remember, the axis of evil it was Iraq, uh, Afghanistan, and out of nowhere, North Korea. <laughs> out of absolutely nowhere, just, no, it was even they Afghanistan. Had a leader. It was, they had a perfect it was Iran. villain leader. It was Iraq, Iran, and North Korea. Yeah, they were really hoping he was going to be more dangerous than he was than he yeah. is. Yeah, he's they, a fucking child. He's an asshole. Yeah, they, 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 can't, they can't put together a fucking rocket program. Yeah, it was a cartoon. They ended up with a cartoon. Uh, and so, okay, and as far as the Bush family goes and the Bin Laden family goes and how they both profited off of this, it would take literally hours for us to go over how entangled the Bush family is with right. the, the Bin Laden family was flown out of America the week after September 11th. Yeah, and, and both the Bushes and the Bin right. Ladens, just very surface-wise, were a part of a company called the Carlyle Group who buys and sells defense companies and doubles or triples their values. Now, admittedly, the group severed ties with the Bin Ladens in October of 2001, but regardless of that, in 2002... The firm received $677 million in government contracts, and by 2003, its contracts were worth $2.1 billion. And another huge selling point was that the war was going to pay for itself. In 2000, we basically had no deficit. We had a, we were, we had a surplus. We had a surplus. Uh, by, the end of, by the end of the uh, eight years, now we're, now we're at $19 trillion. I believe at the end, it was $10 trillion. Yeah. Uh, so it obviously did not pay for itself, and we paid with blood. We play. We paid uh, with loot. We paid with everything. Yeah. Do we play with tokens? <laughs> no, we didn't pay with tokens. Cause that, I love that's tokens. how I like to pay for things. I like to pay. I hope I can play the Smash the Monkey game. <laughs> some of this nine eleven money. By the way, I think that game was taken out of a uh, store recently because someone perceived it as racist. Oh, Jesus, God. God. <laughs> but anyway, that's not what this so, is about. Yep. And Bill and William Bucky Bush. Oh. One of the lesser-known Bushes, he also made a sizable sum of money because he sat on the board of a major military contractor called Engineered Support Systems. And the military and the military industrial complex in the Bushes, it goes all the way back to Prescott Bush. Like, it right. goes back generations. Prescott and, Bush, probably one of the most evil figures, besides Dick Cheney, in all of American history. Yeah. And the thing is about, and, you, and how, you know, you know, so we're not talking about George W. Bush a whole lot in this. And we're talking, not talking about Osama bin Laden a whole lot besides 
them just, you know, kind of the funny stuff here and there is because Bin Laden and Bush were essentially mirror images of each other. They were both easily manipulated figureheads with a penchant for religion, Islam on one side, Christianity on the other, who could draw attention away from the people actually in power. Osama bin Laden had been cast as the villain years ago. They made him, they trained him, they did the whole thing, they gave him the motive, they put the gun in his hand, they did a bunch of shit, he became that he was happy to accept it, he's not a cool dude, he's malicious. He, was happy to, he wanted to be the villain, so he became the villain, and George Bush was well, a hapless man who was a part of, who's just the fall guy. But he's that's all ap- perspective, Osama did not want to be the villain, he was the hero. And Yeah, exactly. In his yeah. world. And w was, was the, the hero, Dick Cheney's the hero, the, all yeah. these people are heroes. Yeah, exactly. In their own eyes, they are, they are the heroes. I mean, George Bush... Uh, he just wanted to be Uncle George. Like, if you, if George was your next door neighbor, he'd be the cool guy that throws barbecues and, like, it, it, he always has Heineken. Yeah, they call the 2000 election the, the election you choose who you want to have a beer with. Yeah, exactly. And George Bush, yeah, I would much rather have a beer with George Bush than Al Gore. Still. Yeah. To this day. <laughs> Actually, kind of Dick Cheney, too. <laughs> Dick yeah. Cheney would only, like, he just drinks out of a pewter skull goblet and he's just like, do you have wine? I like how it looks like blood. <laughs> <laughs> and in addition to that, these guys were just clueless rich kids. They're right. both clueless rich kids just playing at games. Family feud. Saddam is the guy who tried to kill my father. Yeah. Classic uh, W quote, taking an entire nation to war. Yeah, exactly. And we're still paying for it. So while 9-11 may not have been completely orchestrated by higher-ups in the U.S. government. Definitely evidence to support that they gave it a nudge or two, and definitely evidence that people in Saudi Arabia had a very large role to play on the other side. But it is important to note, none of it is hard evidence. It is all circumstantial. If there was hard evidence, these people would be in prison right now. At least hard evidence that we know that we have out there. There is no hard evidence out there. It is all circumstantial. And it is definitely my belief that the real conspiracy of 9-11 was between American corporations and rogue elements within the U.S. government and rogue elements within the Saudi Arabian government and Saudi Arabian corporations. And guess what, guys? It's over. They won. Well, they definitely they, won in the insured forever war. Yeah, they they won. 2000, I believe, was the last election that truly mattered. Like, it's uh, after that, if if Al Gore would have gotten into office, yes, we 9-11 might have happened. Yes, Dick Cheney might have found a way to, to nudge it on. Uh, but we wouldn't have gone to Iraq. Uh, and it's very possible that Citizens United, which gave it, corporations the power to be people and to buy and sell politicians openly, might yeah. not have happened. The only thing, the only thing left to do is to wait until the corporations have eaten everything but themselves and when is, they finally devour themselves, if any of us are still alive, right. that's when we can be free again. And it, well, we, we're watching, you know, we're, we're done. America well, is a series of corporations that buy a bunch of, uh, buy a bunch of politicians. Everything you watch is uh, propaganda or a hologram. That is just the truth. Uh, you should be reading news from multiple countries. If you want to have any sort of real perspective of what's going on in America, you need to read on th- news that's happening outside of America. Um, we live in a hologram reality, and there's a part of us that is, I mean, you know, and are, does Dick Cheney sit with fucking Draco in a sauna all <laughs> yeah. the time? And he's just like, I can't sit in the sauna too long because my blood gets too hot and then I pass out. And Dick Cheney's like, I have the same problem. 
They crushed it. They succeeded in dividing and conquering. Yeah. The country is more destabilized than ever. 93 war on drugs, what they started with militarizing the police there, was re-upped during the war on terror. That's why we're seeing exactly what would happen in Ferguson, in Baltimore, every single place around this uh, country. They succeeded. And as uh, Obama did his job to pull out of the Middle East because he's the dove, again, the illusion of choice, mm-hmm. non-action is action. As Bill Clinton wanted to be the sweet dove, not going in, forcing 9-11 to occur, when Obama pulled out, forcing ISIS to uh, to form a huge uh, caliphate, guarantees we're going to be going back right in there. Uh, whoever is the next president, we are going back to war, guaranteed, forever war, ideological, no land barriers. Can I also then, because now that we've said this, um, we've gone through all evidence, can I talk about how all of this is horseshit? Because <laughs> one time, we did not at once talk about the theory of 11, the connection to Alistair Crowley's reveal from the, from the element of waste and how the towers were part of an incantation to fall what used to be the Atlantean Pillars of Hermes. Guess what, Henry? Uh-oh. That's what we are covering in part three of 9-11, the magic. Because did wow. you know that there was Korean Flight 85 that was redirected down into the Yukon? And do you know what the airport was called? It was called White Horse Airport. Mm. And you know what White Horse is? White Horse is a slang for heroin. You know who sang a song that had the term White Horse in it? That would be Ozzy Osbourne. What was the name of the song? It was Mr. Crowley, mm-hmm. who was the air traffic controller in charge at White Horse Air for, uh, air, Airport? 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 Go to the airport? Uh-huh. The airport? Who was that? Mr. Tim Crowley. And Flight I use that analogy. 175 yeah. stands for 170. Lubert, 175. Connected okay. to. We got a whole episode. All right. I got to. St- I'm sorry, Henry. We don't want to spill the beans. Yeah. Okay. We got a whole nother episode yeah. to do here. And we didn't even end. But also on a, on a serious note, we didn't even get to the EPA cover up that the air, that the air around Ground Zero was, uh, they say, what is it? As caustic and alkaline as Drano. Uh, right afterwards, uh, the EPA and President Bush said the air is safe. You can all go in there. Right. Everyone can go. Go back to their jobs at Wall Street. You can go in there and clean up and try to find some rescue. Try to give us a try to give us a, a little more, you know, a little bit more hope. Breathe uh, and there and are seventy thousand people uh, may have respiratory problems due to the dust. Hundreds have died from horrific and the, illnesses. This is corporation logic. Hate to always say the NFL is an analogy, but they didn't tell anybody about the concussions forever and forever and forever. Just go play, go play, go play. Everything is fine. And of course, it turns out. Many, many people die because this heartless corporate idea. Yeah. Atlantean invocation. <laughs> All right. I can't wait for part three, guys. Yeah. The number 11. Two towers looking like 11s. Flight Just number 11. D- digest it. Just think about it. <laughs> think about All right. It. Thank you so much for continuing on this journey with us. Thanks, everyone, for all of their kind words on the first episode. Thank you so much for liking it. Uh, I want to thank uh, Sammy Coglin uh, and uh, Megan Fiora Root uh, for helping me out with research on this. Both of you guys were amazing troopers, specifically Sammy sitting in this hot fucking studio with, with me researching molten steel rates and molten aluminum rates for 10 hours straight. No, uh, no, no. <laughs> we got our first nerd alert. Oh, man, way late. Uh, oh, and uh, and if you and you guys out there if you if you want to buy last buckets and left t-shirts, you can go to cavecomedyradio.com/merch. Yeah. Uh Follow us all on Twitter. Follow us on Last Park at LP on the left. I'm at Ben Kissel. Marcus Parks is at Marcus Parks, and you can find Henry on Twitter at Henry Loves You. 
Uh, and I would say, fuck, man, uh, just Heil Gein. Heil Gein, hail yourselves. Thanks so much for supporting all the shows here on CCR Top Hat Roundtable, uh, Sex and Other Human Activities, page 7. Yeah. And especially if you really enjoyed uh, this episode, and specifically the politics on this episode, go listen to Abe Lincoln's Top Hat. It's the politics show that, that me and Ben do together. Yeah, and we'll get into some of the loose ends. We'll talk about the 2000 election. We'll, we'll talk about some things that we weren't able to get to um, yeah. in this episode. The boring stuff. <laughs> I'll make it exciting. To make sure... Remember, uh, Satan is the lamplight of all honesty. He destroys all shadows. Hail him every single day of your life. Um, and um, Heroes, September 24th, 8 p.m. on NBC. That's coming up. I'm doing Red Eye on September 23rd. Cool. Well, wait, on the 24th, because it's at 3 o'clock in the morning. Henry, when is, who, when is Heroes air? I don't know. I don't know, understand time math. <laughs> I don't know either. All right, yeah. well, we can watch Henry and I on, yeah, 20, yeah. on the 24th. Yeah, yeah, and go buy the Cowman album. But I'm not going to play a song at the end of a 9-11 episode. No, no, it's bad for branding. <laughs> it's bad for plugs altogether. We probably shouldn't plug. <laughs> Sincerely, guys, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you so much. Goodbye. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to cavecomedyradio.com.